0: It's actually a uh, roiling conversation between Jesus and, and uh, a group of people who originally came to him all excited as they, were, uh, they wanted more. They wanted him literally to make them happy. Uh, you made me happy before, make me happy again, give me some more bread after the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, some of that same group, they've been having this discussion back and forth, and probably people are coming and going. Uh, but we're into what I call the, sort of the fifth cycle of that conversation. It's par- perhaps a little bit arbitrary, but it's based on uh, these points in the conversation when they ask a really pointed question uh, to Jesus. And so we're up to the fifth and final cycle in this conversation, So carefully recorded for us uh, by John. And so today, if God gives us the opportunity, it's a a little ambitious, um, but we'll see. Uh, Chapter 6, verses 52 through 51, at least I'll read that much, and we'll see see where we go from there. Let me start with reading it, and then we'll open with prayer. Let me go ahead and read 51. It says, uh, I am, this is Jesus speaking, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, Truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds... I just want to make a linguistic note here. Um, That is a present tense participle, The, the word feeds and drinks. And that means it's describing this person. You could easily translate it the person who is constantly eating and drinking. Ongoing, present tense, action. It's significant in uh, the Greek language when they shift out of the normal verb tense into present. Present is exciting, it's ongoing. So whoever is the one who is feeding is a little bit wordy, but that's a little closer to the actual uh, meaning of this word, and you'll see it a couple of times. Okay, back back to the reading of the Word of God. I'm in ver- verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. That's a present tense verb as well. He's continuing to abide in me. And I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread... The fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself, that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas. The son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so limited. We confess that we need you completely to open the word of life to us. Uh, Break thou the bread of life to us, we pray, O Lord. Open your word to all of our hearts may we each individually, truly seek your your word to us today. As Jesus would say every once in a while, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. This is your precious word, and it's guiding us, it's teaching us, and yet it's difficult, as the text itself says. Who can listen to this? It's a hard saying. So we depend on your Spirit to give us ears to hear, and uh, so we thank you, Lord, and as we journey through this together, Lord, we want you to be pleased and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we have this, as I said, a roiling uh, discussion between Jesus and the folks who came to see him that day. They seemed so interested. Many of them... It says they were, many of them were disciples. They had been following for a little while. They were students of Jesus. Uh, many of them were saying, yeah, we believe in Jesus. That's how I was witnessing with a man this week, and he just casually said, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. You know, hasn't affected his life. He's not interested in anything Jesus ever had to say. He's not following Jesus, but I believe in Jesus. I mean, you know, everybody believes in Jesus. <laughs> uh, and that's some of what was going on with this group of people. And what is the response of Jesus to them? Earlier, it says they were grumbling about what he said. See verse 41. So the Jews grumbled; they were complaining. They were they were cynical. They did not like what he was saying. It was it was too bold and too categorical, and and too profound and deep and challenging. There were many reasons they didn't like it. They were grumbling, complaining. And, and in this passage, it says they were debating. They were uh, disputers. I call them this, uh, they were the opposition. And What does Jesus, how does he respond? Over and over in this text. He responds by cranking it up, by ramping up his communication. In other words, he doesn't make it easier and softer. He doesn't back down every time. They grumble or complain. He says it, you know, a little better, a little stronger. Uh, He says it again. He challenges them over and over to to believe in him, to come to him. and so we have exactly here. You see verse 52. So the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? See, my point is this. Jesus could have stopped and given a sort of maybe theological or even technical response to this to sort of explain the theological fine points of what he's, what he's saying here, right? He, he could have. He could have done anything. But he doesn't. He just challenges them to take him. Uh, the, the point is you may not fully understand that, but this is the only way of life. This is the only way you can ever have life is to be the person who is constantly taking me who is feeding on me. So he challenges them, and I, I want to go through this text c- kind of quick because it's, it's so intense. Uh, this is my fear. My fear is I don't want to be the pastor or the preacher or the teacher who spent his entire time trying to tell you what the text doesn't mean. <laughs> I don't want to blunt the point of Jesus, right? But on the other hand, the point is so I don't want to exaggerate it either I think Jesus exaggerates it just fine So if anything, I want to kind of get out of the way And let Jesus uh, teach us today What he is saying So first of all, here's just some points on this He's challenging his opposition And what does he say to them? Eat and drink the Son of Man Or you will have no life in you This is a bold, strong statement It's not to make them feel better, right? They're grumbling, they're complaining, and he just gets right, you might say, in their face and says, this is the truth. You know, sort of like, like it or not. (laughs) And I'm not going to even give you some sort of technical explanation of it. Uh, This is it, see, uh, this is what he says, right? Verse verse 53, and uh, perhaps this is a little repetitive to you, but it's repetitive in the word of Jesus. So, Jesus said to them, truly, truly. He doesn't just have a speech impediment. <laughs> He's not stuttering, right? He's saying, This is absolutely true. And uh, when he spoke it to them, the words actually are Amen, Amen. So, we think Amen ends a prayer, which it typically does. <laughs> it's actually a Hebrew word. And I think you probably know what the Hebrew word means. It means, may it be, may this be established, this is our request, may it be, or it is, and when Jesus starts out the sentence, he says, this is it, this is it, what is it? I say to you, oh, the boldness of that, he's not quoting some obscure rabbi, you know, the rabbi in the fourth century on page three says, there's no citation here. He doesn't have to cite anybody. I love that. He's the eternal word. He cites himself. That's not us. That's not you and I. We cite Jesus. But he cites himself. The citation is, I say to you, unless you eat the, son, me, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. What is their response? What should their response be? I think he's saying, just put on the brakes. You're you're losing it by grumbling and disputing. The very last thing you want to do is dispute with Jesus and say, well, I'll I'll get a second opinion on that, Jesus, you know, maybe I'll go to a higher authority, I'll check out Wikipedia and see uh, see what they say, you know? That's the wrong response and he's super emphatic about this. It's me, I'm what God the Father has provided. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. I'm the means for you to have life. And if you don't eat me, look what he says, you have no life in you, so you're dead. It's not like you will be dead or you might die someday. You are currently dead. If you're not partaking in Jesus, and that's how he clarifies it there in the very next verse, you see, uh, verse 54, whoever, whoever, that's a great open word, uh, whoever, excuse me a second here, I don't know why I did that, my remote decided to take a hiatus, (laughs) just give me the next slide, would you? Fully partaking in Jesus is our only hope of life. And that's what I believe he's saying here. Fully partaking. Whoever feeds, present tense, this means, he's not saying at some crisis moment, I was in a hotel room and I I watched Billy Graham and he said, you know, come and believe in Jesus. I'm not mocking Billy Graham. I really like him a lot. I wish I could, you know, have one, you know, (laughs) pinky of, of his preaching ability, right? And he preached the gospel in many, 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 many locations. But in one crisis moment, I came and I believed, period. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. He's saying, you have to be constantly feeding on me. It's a present tense. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood. And what this is, it's really intense, and I'm not, I'm not uh, putting a, you know, a rubber cap over the pointedness of this, but this is what he's saying. This is the biblical definition of believe. The, the gospel is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, absolute guarantee, wide open. Whoever believes will be saved and uh, remember back at verse 29 of chapter 6 several messages ago we looked briefly at this Uh, verse 28 is kind of cool it says then they said to him what must we do to be doing the works of God and there's present tenses in there too Jesus answered them this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent So. To intensify the definition of what he's talking about. What do you mean, believe in him? Like this guy I mentioned this week when I was getting, we were talking about the gospel. Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, historical figure. He's been on Nova. Yeah. Of course, I believe he exists. But no, no, that's not what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying you're you're all in. You're you're not holding back. You are as if eating Jesus and drinking him, you partake in him. You're fully partaking in Jesus. It's our only hope of life. Give me the next slide. I'm just going to have to say that every time. My remote failed me here. Uh, he, is, he is true food and true drink. Again, I'm just sort of laying out exactly what he says here. Um, Verse 55, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. You know, he's, he's driving beyond the literal here. He's not, he's honestly, I don't mean to be flippant at all, but he's in no way saying, you know, come up and eat a part of me or drink a part of my blood. He's not saying that. Uh, yes, this has gr- great communion uh, um, overtones, <laughs> Right In communion, we celebrate our participation in Jesus. But Jesus is saying, my body is true food and my uh, blood is true drink. It's it's beyond the literal and physical. Uh, He is the means by which we can have life. And we'll open that up a little bit more. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. Give me the next slide, then. Life only comes to those who eat and drink. This is his emphatic point. It's over and over and over again. Life doesn't come to us by saying magic words once in a hotel room with Billy Graham on the television. That can be a start. It can be a real start. But true faith demonstrates in the fact that you are feeding on Jesus always. You're... Life is all about Jesus. Next slide. All who feed on Jesus and drink his blood have life. Next slide. And this is what I want to get to. These abide in him. Now, this is a wonderful preaching point in the Gospel of John, which we will be getting to if the Lord gives us an opportunity. John loves this word abide. In John 15, he opens this up in a really big way. It's the word to remain. You've heard me use it occasionally, the very common Greek word meno, uh, to remain. Uh, Hupomeno is patience, remember to remain under. And this is meno, it's a present tense, the person who, he abides in me, he's living in me. Uh, An interesting American English expression um, uh, is, well, where are you staying? Where are you staying? And we might say, well, I, that t- to us, typically, that means I'm staying, you know, at the Hotel Six or something like that. Uh, it means I, this is my abode. This is where I'm living right now. Uh, this is my address right now. And, and that's, and it's, it, where are you staying? Are you staying in Jesus or did you move away? You know, if you moved away, you have no reason to think you have life in you. Because that's not what Jesus is saying. He says it really strongly. I'm inviting you to come full force into me, partake of me, know me, trust me, and abide in me. Verse 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. See, so really, kind of what I'm saying is this eating and drinking is very bold and difficult because it sounds macabre, or macabre, or however you say that word. <laughs> either way, it sounds like that, right? It really does. But he's, he's defining it, and it's very intense because he doesn't want us to miss the point. Because the, you miss the point, it's life and death. You can't just be casually into Jesus. <laughs> that, that, that doesn't work. <laughs> you either all in or you're all out, essentially. A, a, a person who is saved by the grace of God, follows Jesus. He's a sheep of Jesus. He hears the voice of Jesus. And he worships Jesus. Oh, come let us worship and bow down, our psalm said today. Uh, and, And that's exactly what he's saying. You see, this is the definition of this eating and drinking. It's to abide. See verse 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. They stay in me. That's their residence. They continue. In fact, we have a great uh, doctrine of the faith called the perseverance of the saints. Perseverance of the saints, which means a, a saint, somebody who's saved, will stay, <laughs> will persevere, will hang in there, will follow. Uh, The Bible teaches that those that fall away, we have no way of knowing whether they're saints or not. That's between God and them. But the fact that they fell away is probably a very good indication that they weren't uh, a part of God's people. And I think that's all underlying this teaching here. Next slide. These have life from Jesus, who has life from the Father. This is very interesting, honestly, from a Trinitarian point of view. And I think it requires our understanding of of the incarnation when Jesus became flesh and blood. Jesus has this human life by the will of the Father. He doesn't have his divine existence by the Father because they, they coexist. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God exists in a trinity eternally, but Jesus says, of course, When he's talking about, we're going to talk about this in a minute, um, underlying this text is obviously what we call the incarnation, meaning Jesus' body and blood. He, he's a human being. He calls himself several times the son of man. That's his favorite name for himself. He's the son of God. He exists eternally, but he's the son of man And we have to fully understand, we have to consume his incarnation in order to be saved. In other words, we understand that uh, I was desperate for you to save me and I can see that you had to become the son of man to die on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God for me and I love that and I want that and I affirm that Jesus came in the flesh. He is man. And, and I think that's what we're looking at here in verse 57. As the living Father sent me, and that's over and over in this text, right? The Father sent me. The Father sent me. As the living Father sent me. This is the, the only living true God. Hallelujah. You know, the Bible's just filled with that beautiful affirmation as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. And I believe the only way to understand that is he's saying, here I am, the Son of Man. I'm here because of the Father. I have this human life. See, the Father never had flesh and blood. Never, he's never, he never was. God the Father w- never was a human being. There's this huge para-Christian uh, re- organization Okay. that's located in Salt Lake City, for example. Um, <laughs> and honestly, it, I'm not throwing stones at them, but this is what they truly, honestly believe. They believe that God the Father was once a human being like you and me, and he just got bigger and stronger, and he became a god. But he's still a human being. Not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible says he's he doesn't have a body. He's invisible. He's a spirit. He always existed. He doesn't change. He's immutable. Uh, beautiful, beautiful reality of who God is, but Jesus becomes a man, the Son of Man, with body and flesh and blood for us. He says, as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. And again, he had to be a man for us to be saved, for us to feed on him. Uh, Give me the next slide, let's see. Oh yeah, physical reality leads to spiritual impact. This is a tiny bit philosophical, and uh, I apologize for it. (laughs) This is what I'm saying. I'm saying Jesus had to become a physical reality. Yes? Yes? He walked and talked, and 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 by the way, the Bible says he still is a physical reality. He was raised from the dead. His body was raised from the dead, changed, um, no more marks of of crucifixion except apparently the the scars, which he showed Thomas, but he's taken up into heaven in the body, and he's at the right hand of the Father there with God the Father now. But this physical reality led to a spiritual impact. He, Jesus, died for our what? Our sins. He he didn't die because I'm a a flesh body. You know, I have cells in my body. He didn't die to relieve me of of a physical presence. Uh, No. He came to redeem my physical presence from the curse of sin. He came to die for a, a spiritual problem, a moral, ethical problem. He died for my sins. And it's not a sin to be flesh and blood. He proved that. He's flesh and blood. And he died to, to relieve us of the curse that we deserved because of our sin, the wrath of God. And so he became a physical reality. He was sent by God the Father and it leads to this spiritual impact this is the spiritual nature of salvation and that's what he's talking about here his his whole incarnation when we participate in it we're saved from the wrath of god this is the bread that came down from heaven give me the next bullet it differs from manna this leads to eternal life i think this is super important See verse 58 here. Verse 58. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Now, well, manna came down from heaven, but probably not the highest heaven, (laughs) okay? It did come down. Manna was this, you know, rain-like bread substance uh, that lasted for 40 years while they wandered in the wilderness. But all of those people who ate it died in the wilderness, because of the curse of God they died and he's saying I think verse 58 is very key to understanding this again this is the bread that came down from heaven not like the bread that the fathers ate and died I mean that was a actual physical literal bread they ate that bread and they died this is not like that this bread leads to life forever whoever feeds and that's that guess what present tense verb. This is saying, does this describe you and me? You know, this should be terribly convicting. Honestly, it was terribly convicting to me as I read this. Does this describe me? Do I really, do I constantly eat and and partake in Jesus all the time? That's what this is saying. The person who is described as the one who eats me, constantly, presently, whoever, whoever feeds on this bread, will live forever. I love verse 59 because I I have no idea why that's there. (laughs) It's some amazing point. Jesus said these things in the synagogue. He was there, physical presence. He said it to God's people in the synagogue. These were God's people, but a lot of them were not. A lot of them rejected real faith and real Jesus as he, caught, as he taught in Capernaum. Now let's look at the, the next half of this text. We have, we have enough time by God's will. I, I think the impact, by the way, of this text is eat. Yeah. Don't hold back. Here's the offering. It's Jesus himself. Eat him. Take him. Know him. Trust him. Let it be the uh, ebb and flow, the woof and the warp of your life. I'm woven with Jesus. I'm all about Jesus. Uh, I love him. I know him. I want to know him more. The great apostle said, oh, that I could know him more And the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. If by any means I can attain to the resurrection of the dead, He's saying, I want to know this. I'm committed to Jesus. I believe in Jesus, but I want to know him. That's what Jesus is talking about. Eat! Isn't that Italian like, mangia? (laughs) The food's ready. Eat! (laughs) For heaven's sakes. Um, Yes, it is intense. This teaching is absolutely intense. Intense. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It is. It is. I'm not saying I'm... I think you picked that up. It's not like I'm 100% comfortable or even 100% an understanding of this, but I'm saying this is the way Jesus handled the argument. You don't like what I'm saying? Vroom, let me ramp it up. Okay, here it is. Take it or leave it. And honestly, you're not going to get to the end and stand before God and say, Well, you know, God, I just didn't really quite understand it. And there was a second opinion. No, he's going to say, You had the revelation. It was right there. (laughs) Yeah, they'll say, you never talked to me. And he'll say, what, are you kidding me? The heavens declare the glory of God. We live in a a full environment. We're immersed in revelation. You you are revelation. The the fact that you have an argument and a reason is a revelation of the nature of God. So this is intense, and we totally agree with the disciples. We don't agree where they went with it, but verse 60, when many of the disciples heard it, they said, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's just keep it simple. Can we just do Reader's Digest Bible from here on out? Or better yet, Hallmark Card Bible, right? You'd never find this in a Hallmark card, am I right? I mean, come on. Let's just go Hallmark card, and that's what it most of the church is done we couldn't preach this on a Sunday morning you wouldn't want to preach this in a synagogue in Capernaum (laughs) you wouldn't want it recorded so that people could actually read this oh yes you would why? well we believe in full revelation we want you to be a a fully informed consumer know what you're missing (laughs) know what I'm missing so this is a hard saying who can listen to it they say but Jesus, knowing in himself, he's, he, he knows all. He's, uh, we call that omniscient, omniscient. He knows it all. Knowing in himself that his disciples, his, dis- his disciples were grumbling. Can you believe that? Church members grumbling? That's never happened around here. It's, it's kind of natural. It comes natural. We're, we're bent and broken and, and these guys, his disciples, were grumbling about this. What did he say to them? He said, Do you take offense at this? I'm beginning to reveal to you, and you're taking offense at this. Wait till you see what's coming. You know, fasten your seatbelt. You're going to see me ascending to where I was before. You're going to, this is, this is so true. You know, I, I wish you could make this so plain that everybody would be exposed to it. But here's the thing every human being being will know one day that this is absolutely true. And it'll be too late if you don't take advantage of it now. If you don't eat him now and take him now, it's too late for you. But one day you'll know. The devil knows this. Satan believes this. He knows this is true, that Jesus is the only way of life. And so Jesus says, do you take offense at this? Wait till you you're going to get more revelation. Here's the course. Here's the, here's the course of history. <laughs> I love this. Be on the right side of history. That's what I'm saying. The right side of history is Jesus Christ because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And every knee will bow before him. The right side of history, it ends up that he brings it all together. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bring it to beautiful consummation. And these worship songs we sing will, will be, make perfect sense forever. He's, he's the name above all names. We worship and bow down. He says, then what if you were to see the son of man, me, human being, fully affirm that I'm fully God, that the whole thing is true when I ascend to where I was before, and he's, he's going to come back again. He doesn't say that here. Uh, it, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The words themselves bring us truth and spirit and life. And the Holy Spirit of God, we depend on him to get this. And, and so if you get this in any any bit of it, you know, if it start, if it begins to make sense to you, it is God's work in you to open your heart and mind to this truth. And you should say, yes, Lord, to your will and to your way. I love you. I want to know more. Um, next slide. Jesus is the only way. That is intense. Jesus had to die for us. He had to give his body and flesh. Next slide. We must fully partake in Jesus. This is intense, but this is the truth. We must fully partake. None of this partial commitment. As pastor, you, you hear, I hear lots of partial commitment. And probably people hear it from me too, sadly, right? None of us are perfect. But the drive is to be fully committed. Eating and drinking all the time. Next slide. God is sovereign over all. This is is intense. Look what he says. He says, uh, It is the Spirit who gives life. We're going to come back to that in in a second as well. But he says, The the flesh is no help at all. You, you, You can't do this in the flesh, it doesn't work. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are Spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. And verse 65, he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. You cannot come to God unless God is bringing you to Jesus. Remember verse 44, I think he's probably referring back to verse 44, uh, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Remember I said a good translation of that word is drag. He drags us to Jesus because it's, it's against our natural will. Uh, our, our natural will does not want to admit that without Christ, I'm lost, I'm a hopeless sinner. That's not our natural will. We want to feel proud of ourselves. And like, there's a spark of divinity left in me. And if I fan the flame, it'll get hotter. And then God will look at me and say, hey, you're pretty good. <laughs> Unfortunately, that isn't the case. That is not the truth. We won't come to Jesus unless the Father draws us. And what's the other side of that is? Then, If you're drawn, you, you say, praise the Lord. You say, hallelujah, I love you, I want you. I wanna worship you and live my life for you. God is sovereign over all, that is intense. And you don't find that necessarily on a Hallmark card. Next slide. Here's summing it up again. God works, we believe. God works, we believe. Next slide. We depend 100% on the work of God. We depend 100% on the work of God. That's what this is saying. The spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. We're 100% dependent on the work of God. The spirit must enable us to believe. Remember we looked really quickly at 1 Corinthians chapter two last week. I'd like to just read it again since we have, actually time management's been wonderful this morning. The Lord held the clock. (laughs) The sun did not progress in the sky. Um, It wasn't quite that much, was it? (laughs) Tony, get up here and hold my arm up. Sorry, First Corinthians 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So, as we are all naturally born, we come out as babies. We are not pure. We're bent and broken and sinful as human beings. Every human being is sinful and broken. The natural man does not accept. I will not accept that. I will grumble. I will complain. I will dispute but I will not accept. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. Yeah, they mock us constantly. This is ridiculous. You, you believe this Middle Eastern guy who lived almost 2,000 years ago, you believe he died for your sins, you believe he rose from the dead, you believe he ascended, that he's God and he's coming back. It's just Remarkably foolish to them. They are folly to them, to him. But look at verse uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 2.14. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. It is intense. It is real. God works, we believe. It is the work of God through us. God is the ultimate cause of all. He's the ultimate cause of all in him and through him and to him are all things. He's the ultimate sovereign God. And what this says to us is when we believe, he is working in us to come to Jesus to eat him. Go ahead and give me the next slide. God works, we believe. We totally depend on God. Every human being is dependent on God to ever come to salvation. We're 100%... On the word of God, the spirit must enable us. God is the ultimate cause of all. He's the first cause of everything. Yet, we have a moral imperative to believe. Yet, Jesus doesn't say, okay, I'll just sit in my easy chair and wait for God to change your hearts so that you come to believe, does he? Over and over and over, repetitively, he challenges them to believe. And this is the reality. Every human being has a moral imperative. I mean, this is a command by God Himself. You do this. When we have we have little children, we don't. Our youngest child's now fifteen, you know. But uh, we had a house full of kids, and mom and dad would have uh, moral authority occasionally, you know. <laughs> but we'd we'd give moral imperatives. We'd say, "You set the table." This is not, it's not negotiable. We didn't say if you feel like it or if you want to. You get in there and do it. And they would do it. Or else. <laughs> uh, but that's a moral imperative because we have the authority in that home to ask for that. Jesus has the authority in all the universe. And he comes to every human being, believe, eat me, take me, I am the means of salvation. This is a moral imperative. This is the only opportunity. And it's even, I say, in a fractured environment. How do I say that? Well, remember, it gets down in this text. Everybody leaves him. Many disciples leave him. They go away. See verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They said, just forget it. It's just too intense. I don't want to work my mind around that and believe that. No. So they left him. And he's down to 12, and he says, do you want, is it your wish to go away as well? And of course, Simon Peter, by the work of God in his heart, gives a super, super wonderful confession of faith. Lord, to whom shall we go? He's not saying, yes, guess what? Now I have a PhD in systematic theology, and I can understand everything about Everything you said, Jesus. (laughs) He's not saying that, is he? And I'm sure he didn't. He didn't understand all of that. What he says is, where else are we going to (laughs) go? There's there's nowhere else. I I don't fully understand all this. I believe it. You know, help me to understand it more. It takes a lifetime to master. Well, here's the deal, honestly. In eternity, we'll be still trying to puzzle this out because we're talking about God who's infinite. (laughs) you expect to understand the infinite in a second when you're finite never but he says lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the holy one of god great testimony but jesus says you know that this is in a fractured environment There's 12 of you, but one of you is going to betray me, and one of you is actually a devil himself. Why is there friction? Why is there division? God has willed it so. He hasn't decided to put the church in a pristine environment where there is no friction, right? No, the church has been voyaging through raging waters all of its life. And, and God wants us to be tried by those waters, doesn't he? Peter, will you trust me? Will you put your confidence in me? Will you take me into the boat? And, and that's the way God has willed it. Uh, we would say, God, couldn't you have done it, made it, you know, make it easier for us. <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't it just make us happy? <laughs> and he says, no, I'm in, into this for joy, the long-term satisfaction not your momentary happiness. So I say you, you and I have a moral imperative to believe even in a fractured environment. Don't wait for the environment to get unfractured, to get perfect. Don't wait for your life to straighten out. So many people, honestly, they go through their entire life thinking, well, when I get my act together, then I'm going to go to church. I know I should be a deacon. I know I should be supporting world missions. I know I should be giving a portion of what God has blessed me with. But when I get my life together, then I'll start doing what I should be doing. You know, that's, that's, that's a satanic lie to you. You think that the rest of the disciples, okay, yeah, well, us 11, we'll wait until we figure out this thing and we'll wait for a not-so-fractured environment. It's too disappointing to think that one of us, they don't even know who it is right now. Let's pray. Father, help us to hear. Help us to hear, Lord God. Your moral imperative, Lord. We want to eat you. We want to come to Jesus fully and partake. To be described as people who feed on Jesus. And drink his blood. We we need his shed blood for our forgiveness of sins. To even talk to you, Father. to To not... To not cower for eternity in fear of you. We need Jesus in his body and blood. And we confess we need it, we love it, we revel in it. Help us to fully partake in the name of Jesus. Amen. No dieting. Do not hold back.